cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined today by my special guest host, Adam Summer. Hey, Adam, you ready to start this show? Am I? Wait, which show is this? (laughs) All right, folks, let's start the show. First story for this week is reporting on extreme weather. The Midwest is no stranger to the devastating effects of tornadoes, but rarely in the winter months do its residents brace for such an event. In the last week, tornado warnings and watches have occurred in over 10 states in the heartland. Last weekend, the monster tornado that destroyed the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, may have traversed four states without ever lifting off the ground. Dubbed a quad state tornado, it may be the furthest traveling tornado in the nation's history of recorded storms, likely traveling as far as 250. 50 miles and lasting over four hours. Most tornadoes do not survive for more than 10 or 20 minutes, says John Allen, a meteorologist and climate scientist at Central Michigan University. The recent twister was able to last so long because of a number of crucial ingredients came together. The recipe for such a record breakage starts with the right atmospheric conditions to create a supercell thunderstorm, the strongest of all thunderstorm type. Temperatures more characteristic of April than December, with highs around 80 degrees Fahrenheit, were a key factor, says Victor Gensini, an atmospheric scientist at Northern Illinois University. John Allen agreed, saying, quote, it was a very warm and muggy air mass, and those are very ripe conditions for strong, severe thunderstorms. President Biden toured hardest-hit state Kentucky Wednesday, where at least 74 people lost their lives. He's surveying the damage and offering his condolences to the president, quote, the scope and scale of this destruction is almost beyond belief, he said during a speech in Dawson Springs that afternoon. Biden pledged that federal aid would continue to flow to fund emergency assistance and help rebuild infrastructure. Quote, I'm going to make sure the federal government does what's needed, he said. I intend to do whatever it takes as long as it takes to support your state, your local leaders as you recover and rebuild. You will recover and rebuild. Biden's trip to Kentucky came after a year marked by a notable uptick in extreme weather occurrences that scientists say were driven primarily by climate change. Shortly after taking office, Biden went to Houston to survey the damage wrought by last winter's historic storm there. Over the summer, he traveled to Idaho, Colorado, and California to survey wildfire damage. Later, he went to Louisiana, New Jersey, and New York after Hurricane Ida tore through the area. The disasters have offered Biden unfortunate evidence of what he says is the dire need for the U.S. to do more to combat climate change and prepare for future disasters. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, has sent search and rescue and emergency responders teams to Kentucky, along with teams to help survivors register for assistance. Biden has approved two federal disaster declarations for Kentucky and the neighboring states of Tennessee and Illinois, providing federal aid for search and rescue and cleanup operations, as well as aid for temporary housing and to help individuals and businesses recover. Yeah, these storms have been just an insane reminder of the dangers of the uptick and damage that can be caused by uh, climate change with some of these things. I know that uh, just Wednesday night, we had another massive storm roll through Iowa above us here in Missouri. Yeah, it's some pretty wild stuff. And we've got more stories on it in today's show because it's just such a such an odd event and and sure point to some climate issues you know one of the one of the most interesting parts is that comes out of it for me is you see mitch mcconnell praising the federal aid of joe biden it's interesting because suddenly when you get these kinds of moments nobody seems to mind when somebody from the federal government shows up and says i'm from the government and i'm here to help 
Right. And you can't discount the effectiveness of the national weather system, which is a government-funded weather system right? and is the basis for all weather reporting in the world almost. Yeah, it's the gold standard. Absolutely. And it's a federal government program. Amazon collapse brings new look at buildings in climate crisis. Last week, an unseasonable string of severe weather, like we've just been talking about, ripped through the heartland, destroying homes, communities, and killing several people. One specific occurrence was the collapse of the Amazon warehouse in Illinois, in which at least six workers were killed. Scott Allen, the regional director for public affairs media relations for the U.S. Department of Labor, confirmed this week that OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, has opened an investigation into the collapse after the EF3 tornado hit the warehouse. An Amazon spokesperson has said they support OSHA's efforts. The tornado touched down around 8.35 p.m. Central Time on Friday last week. There were around 50 people working in the warehouse at that time, and 45 made it out. Harrowing stories include a 911 call where the reporting party details a worker bent in half from the collapse and the ground rumbling as the powerful storm began its destruction. Engineering experts say the tragedy is likely to bring new attention to the codes that govern the construction of such expansive but delicately engineered structures. It also is likely to bring a new discussion of what employers should do to ensure the safety of their workers. There are no federal requirements for specialty-built storm shelters in warehouses. Amazon said the facility was built to code and that the company followed proper safety procedures. But the tragedy has heightened concerns that building codes may need to be strengthened in the face of powerful storms and climate change-related natural disasters. This is just such a horrible tragedy on so many levels. And to think that we are talking about these storms, right? It's the second story in a row on these, that this sort of damage in December, and I, I, I know there's still some folks around who are skeptical about climate change. This has got to be some kind of a wake-up call, you'd have to think. Mayor Jones signs bill repealing city marijuana laws. St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones on Monday signed a bill repealing city ordinances that make it illegal to possess small amounts of marijuana. This comes as Amendment 2 was passed by Missouri voters in 2018 to legalize medical marijuana use, which received support of 82 percent of St. Louisans. In a statement on the signing, Mayor Jones says, quote, we are seeing a major shift in the way our country sees not just marijuana, but how it connects to public safety, incarceration, and economic opportunity in our communities. This law will help reduce racial disparities in our policing, make our city safer, and make St. Louis more competitive in hiring for city positions, end quote. Jones has said the bill removes an unjust and discriminatory policy. She said nearly 600 people have been arrested in St. Louis on marijuana charges in the past three years, and nearly 500 of those arrested were black. It's a crazy statistic here. Um, and I got to tell you, man, I think by signing this, I think she just won re-election. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, this is just some beautiful progressive policy. Uh, it's something that people have been crowing about needing for some time now. And people are just kind of dragging their feet. And she just goes in with the alderman and boom, they figure it out. Yeah, getting stuff done. The Missouri 4th Congressional Race Update. With Congresswoman Hartzler's Senate bid, the Missouri 4th Congressional seat assuming the lines are drawn similarly, is an open race for 2022. Hartzler won the seat in a close race in 2010 over longtime congressman and local legend Ike Skelton and has won re-election by wide margins in each race since. While the Democratic side will have a third new candidate in as many cycles, the real race will be on the GOP side as the primary will likely decide the outcome. Taylor Burks out of Boone County, to many a relatively unknown candidate and former county clerk, 
has just announced Doug Russell as campaign chair, a strong indicator for Burks, as Russell is the former Missouri GOP party chair. Meanwhile, Rick Bratton, former Cass County auditor and current Missouri state senator, was endorsed by Freedom Works, a propaganda pack. Sarah Walsh, Missouri House member and Majority Caucus chair, who has filed a bill mirroring the one in Texas to get people to report each other for abortions, seeks the seat as well. Notably, Caleb Rowden has formally declined to run. Kalina Bruce, a CPA in South Central Missouri, is also in the race, though she's not making a lot of noise. According to Open Secrets, Burks is the current money leader, with Bruce right behind, both having over $160,000 cash on hand as of the last quarterly reports. Though Bratton's announcement was after the last deadline, so it remains to be seen just how competitive the race is at this point. One thing is for sure, this will be an interesting race to watch for the state of Missouri Republican politics. J.D. Leathers out of Cass County has declared for the Democratic Party, though he currently has no known cash on hand and no real profile from which to run. Lindsey Simmons ran for the Democrats in 2020 and Renee Hoganson in 2018, both with somewhat similar margins in the outcome. So I guess the question becomes, Kevin, who wins this this congressional seat? Uh, I don't know that it's a question of Democrat versus Republican so much as which Republican's going to win it. I know you had a chat the other day with Scott Fawn where you were talking about how this is Burke's race to lose. Yeah. And it's just kind of interesting to me that we have areas like this where we have a Democrat running, but there's just no money for him whatsoever, no support. Yeah, and I think there's probably some more serious Democratic potentials out there that could still get into this race. Depending on how the lines are drawn, it could even be a less competitive race, depending on what they do with Boone County. could be a more competitive race, but it's going to be a pretty safe Republican seat in 2022, almost for sure. Uh, And yeah, I think Taylor Burke's just, he just fits such a good mold of uh, a political candidate in general. And uh, his social Social media posts, he's, he's, he, he posts some stuff that would suggest he's a little bit more extreme than I think he really is. Um, and so I think he will be pretty palatable for folks. Uh, Rick Bratton makes a lot of noise um, and he does some stuff that some people will like. But, you know, it'll be interesting and it, it'll depend a lot, too, on on what do Democrats around here do, because, you know, there's going to be a Democratic Senate primary. But I already think I'm probably going to pull the Republican ballot in the open primary here in Missouri uh, and, and make some votes on in that direction. Hey, is Bratton that guy who threw up that Twitter photo of like his entire family decked out with guns for Christmas? You Am know, I getting this, that right? At this point, there's so many, it's hard to keep them straight, but I think you're right. That he's one <laughs> of them. Yeah, I think he's okay. one of the one of those guys. Cool. Hey there, folks. Hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for Talking Politics Session on the week that was and diving into elections, legislation, and public policy. You can also join Adam on most Tuesdays and Thursdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, farmer, scientist, you name it. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports with The Delta from science teacher and author Nicholas Linke and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the Last Call episodes and Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Ohio airports fly high. U.S. Senator Rob Portman announced Wednesday that Cleveland Hopkins International Airport will get over 11 million in federal money 
over the next five years as part of the bipartisan infrastructure deal, the largest share of nearly $254 million that will help nearly 100 airports across the state. Portman Crows that, quote, this airport funding is a big win for Ohio across our state for urban and rural areas alike. Upgrading and modernizing our airports will create tens of thousands of jobs and play a key role in attracting businesses and growing Ohio's economy both in the near term and for many years to come. Now that air travel is beginning to ramp up as we work to get through the pandemic, it is the right time to make significant investments in our airports to ensure they'll be able to meet the increasing demands of services. Rob Portman of Ohio is one of the Republican senators who crossed party lines to help the Biden administration pass this historic bipartisan infrastructure deal. Iowa Republican praises COVID-19. Nicole Hasso, a Republican candidate for Iowa's 3rd Congressional District, said she thinks the pandemic was a good thing for the United States because of the increased political activism it caused. Hasso explained that the pandemic was helpful because at-home learning showed parents what's being taught in schools. She said learning what children are taught in schools, something parents can do whenever they want, by the way, is how she and many others got involved in politics. Wow. Hasso, a black woman, claims the 1619 Project doesn't tell the truth about history, makes black people into victims, and says, quote, As a mom, there's no way I'm going to sit on the sidelines and allow you to lie to my child and tell my child that he's a victim or that his history hates him. Hasso is running in a crowded GOP primary for the Iowa 3rd Congressional District. And as we have seen here in Missouri, saying outlandish things seems to be the new strategy for folks who are likely to lose their races. There's no word yet if Hasso endorses the over 800,000 deaths or if she thinks slavery was a positive thing. But her statements seem to suggest she might. Hasso has been endorsed by Ted Cruz. Her last FEC report shows just over $134,000 on hand. Mo Marijuana. Get it? Mo? (laughs) Anyway, an official signature campaign to legalize recreational marijuana in Missouri has officially begun. Legal Mo 2022 is seeking 170,000 signatures before a May 8th deadline. The proposed adult use cannabis system would feature a few key components. It would create an automatic expungement program for citizens convicted of nonviolent cannabis related offenses. This would happen automatically, according to Midmo Normal, and would not require people to hire a lawyer. Recreational cannabis sales would be taxed at 6%, with proceeds going toward the state health department, veteran care, drug addiction treatment, and the state's public defenders program. Cities may add an additional 3% sales tax if they choose. 144 new cannabis business licenses will be granted via lottery, with 66% of them going to cultivation companies and 33% to dispensaries. Sounds pretty good to me. Rocky Mountain High. Winds disrupt Denver. High winds on December 15, 2021 toppled trees and downed power lines in the Denver area on Wednesday before making their way across the rest of the heartland. Wind speeds in Colorado reached 95 miles an hour in some areas, and at one point over 60,000 folks were without power in Colorado. Thankfully, crews were able to restore power to most of those by Thursday morning, though the combination of wind and snow in Denver is just another highlight in this week of climate crisis weather. You know, Adam, thinking of Colorado, we're just thankful that there weren't wildfires coupled with those 95 mile an hour winds. Wednesday night, I was in Kansas City at an event and we could all smell the smoke. And Mayor Q said there was there were prairie fires in Kansas miles away, but the smoke was blowing all the way into downtown Kansas City. It was pretty wild. 
Meat packers pack away the cash. A damning report this week sheds light on inflationary practices in four of the biggest meat processing companies who used their market power in the highly consolidated U.S. market to drive up meat prices and underpay farmers tripling their own net profit margins since the pandemic started. Financial statements of the meat processing companies, which control 55 to 85 percent of the market for beef, poultry, and pork, contradict claims that rising meat prices were caused by high labor or transportation costs, say advisors led by the National Economic Council Director Brian Deese. Those statements showed a 120 percent collective jump in their gross profits since the pandemic and a 500 percent increase in their net income. These companies recently announced a $1 billion in new dividends and stock buybacks program on top of the more than $3 billion they've already paid to shareholders. So remember, folks, while many blame Biden for inflation, the companies continue to raise prices and record massive profits. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for joining us. If you have a story you feel we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet us at the Heartland Pod. And now, newly available for super fans out there, our official Podhead Club on Patreon. $5 a month unlocks additional content like The Last Call and The Heartland News. Go to heartlandpod.com and click the Patreon button to sign up or go to Patreon to search Heartland Pod. The Flyer Review is a production of Mid-Map Media, LLC. This week's episode featured reporting and information from the Iowa Starting Line, Missouri Times, Reuters, Cleveland.com, The Washington Post, CNN, KSDK, St. Louis, Al Jazeera, ScientificAmerican.com, the FEC website, and the Denver Post. Remember to subscribe so you get this show and all our Heartland Pod offerings with new episodes released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for joining us, and see you next week. Same time, same place. Take care, folks. Thanks for listening to this week's Flyover Review. We'll see you Monday for the Heartland Pod. Recreationable. Recreationable. <laughs>